Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Today's guests are Roan and Eva Hunter. They're counselors and the co-authors of the book Sex, God, and the Chaos of Betrayal, The Couple's Roadmap of Hope and Healing. And in this episode, they share their histories of brokenness and the impact that this had on their marriage. Through the many ups and downs of their relationship, they gained many insights that they now share with other couples seeking help in their own marriages. To learn more about Roan and Eva in their book, visit sexgodchaos.com. For more resources, visit bebroken.com or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after you listen to help others find it. Now, let's dive into today's conversation. All right, Roan and Eva Hunter, welcome to the program. Man, thanks, Jonathan. We are glad glad to be here. Yes, thanks for having us. Yeah, well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So you guys have uh, written a book that is entitled Sex, God, and the Chaos of Betrayal. And then you've got a pretty spectacular subheading or sub uh, subtitle, The Couple's Roadmap of Hope and Healing, Recovery from Infidelity, Affairs, Pornography, and Sexual Addiction. I think you covered it all. Right there in the title. Right we, there. In we the got title. all the Google search words. That was the main thing. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so I would love for us to uh, to talk about um, you know what you've written in this book. But first of all, tell us how you got to the point of actually writing this book. <laughs> okay. You want to you want to jump in first? Um, sure, I'll jump in. So we have been married this year uh, forty years. Uh, we married in 1982. We were high school sweethearts um, and got married in college. And um, during college, uh, just a lot of chaos in our relationship. It was intensity. <laughs> However, we thought, wow, this really is love because we fought well, <laughs> we fought hard, and we loved hard. And we thought that made a good relationship. Um so seven years into the marriage, though, Roan uh, confessed that he had a problem with pornography. We had two sons at this at this time. By then, we had two sons. They were young, uh, almost four and almost two years old. Yeah, and as Eva said, we started dating when we were 15, and, and certainly um, the, the setup uh, for each of us, um, I I grew up, parents divorced when I was eight years old, and uh, I got exposed to pornography. My mother's attitude was boys will be boys. And I had two older brothers that were four and five years older, and we had porn on the bedside table. Um, and this was back in the day, there were these things called magazines. Some of your young guys that are listening, they don't know what that is, right? <laughs> yes, paper and print. Um, but, but it was bad enough. Um, and uh, you know, that just, that hooked me, uh, uh, just early on. And, and then, you know, I, very little adult supervision, parental, uh, uh, supervision. Uh, my brothers and I just kind of, um, uh, raised ourselves in a way. And, um, and, uh, and so drinking was a part of that. The porn thing was kind of always there. And then Eve and I meet, uh, well, we were, it's a little town in Mississippi, um, which is, that's all there is. Um, we knew each other, but then we, we kind of found each other when we were 15 and started dating. 
Right. And so my backstory, um, I did grow up in church. Uh, my mother played the piano for our, our little Baptist church, and my dad was a deacon. Uh, and my dad was uh, an alcoholic. It was all hidden and secret. Um, my mother did not allow alcohol in the home. So I come came from a very rigid family system and an addictive family system. Uh, and Roan came from loose, loose boundaries, <laughs> yeah, no, no family rules. system. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, and, and we see that a lot yeah. in the couples that we work with, that uh, maybe one comes from rigid and one from loose, uh, or they both may come from rigid, or they both may come from loose boundaries. <clears throat> yeah, and so that was really kind of the setup for us, and uh, we found each other, started dating, and of course, uh, you know, sex became a part of the relationship uh, very quickly, um, and um, and then the uh, summer uh, before our uh, freshman year at college, uh, Eva got pregnant, and uh, we decided, after talking to our parents, uh, to have an abortion, uh, and that was a uh, great tragedy and uh, a lot of trauma associated mm. with yes, that. Yes, very much. Mm. Uh, and and we never talked about it again. Not until not for another ten years. Uh, however, the the wounds or the trauma that created in me would come out sideways uh, with mm. anger. Um, and mm. I really didn't know how to um, regulate my emotions. I really didn't even understand the roots of my anger. Um, they actually went way back um, to what I grew up in, and then the abortion contributed to that as well. Then Roan's uh, disclosure to me, um, and then that's another level of anger. That So uh, I became the wrath of God, who is the love of God, <laughs> but I had a lot of anger. <laughs> yes, and, and even before discovery, um, and it's just, you know, now today we would call it complex trauma, uh, I had my own uh, from, you know, what I grew up in. It looked different than Eva's. Um, and mine manifested in, in you know, medicating um, and, and numbing. And then the, the sex addiction uh, ramped up, uh, as it always does, escalated. Um, and it went from, you know, uh, pornography to strip joints, uh, massage parlors, and then ultimately prostitutes. Um, and I didn't grow up, um, uh, I always say I grew up in the Easter Christian denomination, um, and, but I, 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 got, I was ambushed by Jesus uh, my sophomore year at college, and then that changed everything for me uh, because um, I, I quit drinking and I quit cussing and I quit smoking because I was all in. It was very real. Uh, and we started going to church, and we got very involved in church, and Graduated from college and uh, moved to uh, Mobile, Alabama area, and then got transferred to Nashville, and then ultimately in Atlanta, uh, where we lived for 22 years. But a lot of, well, those moves were all what we would call geographic cures, because my acting out is ramping up, and I'm going to, you know, if I get away from this stuff here, then that'll take care of it. And, and it was all hidden, and it was all secret. Uh, like I said, we were very involved in church. Uh, we looked really good on the outside, you know, uh, picket fence, dog, two children. And um, we, were, we were very engaged in, in church in every city that we lived in. And then uh, it was 
1990 is when I admitted we were we were having a conversation, and uh, I told Eva I, I had a problem with pornography. And really, that was God moving because I, I was never going to tell her. Um, and I literally, I remember even thinking, who said that, right? I, I, I looked my, over my shoulder because there was no way I was ever going to tell her. And then that really began our, our journey of even why we do what we do today. And, you know, when he did disclose that to me, it was, I mean, just like this discovery of I don't even know who you are because of what he presented uh, as he really looked. We, we both looked good on the outside for sure. I had my own brokenness. Uh, I really couldn't see it, my own stuff, for a long time. It took me quite a few years to unravel all my own um you know, coping mechanisms, uh, for sure. But I was just blown away that uh, this had been something he and, and it unraveled. I mean, the the, the disclosure it, we call it a, a dribble or a trickle disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out mm-hmm. over the next weeks or months of all of the acting out behaviors. It absolutely did a number on me. Yeah, so much so the day I told her that I had a problem with pornography, Eva loaded up our our two sons uh, that were uh, almost two and almost four and uh, put them in the car, came home back to Mississippi. And uh, there was all she knew at that point that, you know, I told her pornography. And so I'm like, (laughs) what's next? And I pretty quickly got engaged uh, with a Christian counselor uh, in Atlanta and again, this was 1990. Um, we had a tr- wonderful counselor um, and uh, probably one of the best people even in the country at that point, uh, one of the pioneers in Christian sex therapy, um, but not sexual addiction because that term had not even been coined until the mid-'80s uh, by Dr. Patrick Carnes. And so we... We kind of wandered. Uh, we did, and yeah. there there was never uh, not a lot of help for the partner at that time. There, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. Very little help for mm-hmm. the partner, actually. Uh, uh, and you know, the the term then for the partner partner was codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the later nineties, uh, mid to late nineties, it became co addiction. I connected to those somewhat. I could see my codependency. I could also see my co-addiction, not to Roan himself, but more to the relationship. Uh, but I, today, the term is betrayal trauma. And I, I connect greatly with that because what I was dealing with mirrored uh, P, a lot of the PTSD symptoms, mm-hmm. a lot of intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. a lot of hypervigilance, um, a lot of fear. Um, so, I mean, it's just been a, it had been a journey for me to heal Actually, I had a, a brain scan this past year, uh, last August, uh, at the Amen Clinic, and I no longer have uh, a lot of, uh, I don't have the ring of fire, which trauma looks like a ring of fire in the brain. Um, so I'm grateful for that, that uh, I've never felt safer in my life, and that's, uh, great. I'm grateful to be married to a man who's in recovery and who is on it, lives a life of rigorous honesty, and gives back what he's been given. Yeah, and and it was a ring of fire those those early years. Yes. Um, you know, we we went to counseling. 
Um, Eve at that point was just not having any of it. And, um, and we, uh, after two years, uh, and it was pretty bad for those two years, uh, we wound up and we divorced. Um, and, uh, but one of the things I think that, that Eva saw, I, I was committed to my recovery. Um, I, I didn't just bail because we got divorced. I, I, I certainly uh, stayed engaged with my counselor. I was in a therapy group with him. I was, um, it was, I was involved in one of the first Christ-centered uh, recovering support group ministries in the country. Um, and, and Eva, she actually saw the consistent action over time, uh, even when we were divorced. And uh, it was during the divorce where I think uh, you would say you had your grace awakening. Yes, I did. I, at that point, um, I was really on my own. I felt very much on my own. And um, it, even though I still, the, we had the two children, and, but the pressures of life sent me to really begin to work on myself. Uh, I, and, and once I did that, I mean, one of the first um, things I did was um, get in, involved in a group, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and I, be, I became aware of what had happened to me. I really and truly did not think growing up in my home had affected me. Uh, my denial was very deep. And um, anyway, so that was the first step. And then I got back involved in just individual counseling and began to really work on myself and my own boundaries and um, just really figuring out um, who God created me to be, right, mm-hmm. and who I was in Him, mm-hmm. um, and that that's really where my strength comes from. Um, and so I became open when I could begin to see my own brokenness was when I began to be open to reconciliation and restoration with Roan. Yeah, and we we were apart, uh, separated and divorced um, uh, right about a year, and um, and then yeah we remarried and we certainly uh, we made a commitment uh, to do, continue doing our work. Uh, we often laugh. Uh, we'll have people that will say things like, you know, I tried that counseling thing, you know, two times and it just didn't work, and we're like, well, we went uh, two times a week uh, for two years. <laughs> and then we backed off, you know, to once a week uh, for another couple of years. I mean, it, it, you know, it's just this process because uh, especially, you know, this, this you know, uh, anything of the sexual nature, it, it's got so many roots to it and it's mm-hmm. multifaceted mm-hmm. and then certainly how it affects the soul, uh, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6. Um, it, there's just a whole lot to it, um, and you know we we call it an intimacy disorder, um, and that's what we work with so many couples around today. Uh, because, not really knowing how to connect, yeah. not really knowing how to be safe for one another either. Um, yeah, yeah, it's like what 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 does what is God's intention for marriage? What what's the real intent? Right, this idea of true intimacy. So. Much of what we work with and just in our own journey was this movement from false intimacy to true intimacy, the marriage that God intended for all of us to have. So, so since how, we were so how, Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, so how did the how did the how did you start to turn a corner to where the healing that was happening in your marriage, you were starting to see that 
God was wanting to use that to then actually help other couples. When did that, where was that in your story? Okay. That, oh, that's a great question. Uh, I will be 60 this year. Rome will be 61 this year. And so life fell apart in our late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And so then we really worked on our marriage. We worked on raising our children for the next 20 years. Oh, yeah. With the mindset that we always wanted to give back. And so along the way, we were very much a part of support groups. Um, we mentored other couples. We did a lot of lay counseling. We were all, we were really and truly that was uh, our purpose. We felt like, you know, the God had placed that yeah. we wanted to give back what we had been given, our, our own awareness, our own understanding. Um, and Around, we started our master's program in our uh, early to mid 40s. We finished that around age 50. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just is a. It seems like it's gone so fast. Actually, mm. we, but we've been in recovery for 32 mm. years. Um, we started a private practice in our early 50s. Um, we have three locations in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we've written the book. Uh, we do support groups. We do one-on-one -on -one intensives. We do group intensives. Uh, we've been, we're busier than we've ever been, and we're still in recovery, right? We're still working on ourselves, for sure, <laughs> and working on, on really mm -hmm. our, our connection with one another and our connection with God and with others. Well, yeah, I, wanted to, we, I, I think early well, I wanted on, to, oh, yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead, Roan. Yeah, early on, I think I'm, when I mentioned, you know, I was very fortunate to, it was one of the first, really, probably the first Christ-centered recovery and support group ministries in the country. And uh, I was very fortunate to get connected with the guy that started that. Bill Morris was an LPC uh, counselor um, and certainly a, a devoted follower of Jesus and uh, really wanted to incorporate, you know, um, just the, the faith aspect of, of being a Christian into the recovery process. And we just named our higher power, and, and that higher power is Jesus Christ. And so I was fortunate to get on the get in on the front end of that and uh, learned how to do groups and, and certainly how much it benefited me. And, you know, I think I think that's where and then Eva got involved later with it and I think that's where certainly our understanding and passion uh, for like this idea of doing groups um, is, I believe it's kind of the way God intended us to live, uh, this idea of life together, um, uh, deeply connected, um, not just with, with a spouse, but with others and with, with Him. And so that's been just our passion along the way. And then certainly doing the you know individual counseling that we do, uh, it's certainly important However, we always say the magic happens uh, when you're connected in community with others. Yes, connection is the cure. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, because something, as you guys were telling your story, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I mean, you know, uh, you've, you unpacked so much over your lives. Um, I wanted to ask, because I'm thinking of the couple that's out there, that they're, they're in the discovery phase like of whatever the sexual brokenness is or or whatever the issue is that's really dividing them currently. But what I heard in your story was you had 
You had brokenness that extended all the way back into your families of origin. And there were other things. I mean, Eva, I think about the the multiple traumas that you faced, an alcoholic father, uh, an abortion, a, a husband that's, you know, sexually addicted. I mean, those are coming at you from very different angles. Um, Rowan, you had this family that there was just no boundaries, like, you know, no structure, and then get hooked into porn and prostitutes and all that kind of stuff. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned about the things that you need to navigate for personal healing and the things that need to be navigated for marital healing and how there may be distinctions between those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we always in working with couples around this, we say there's no greater crisis uh, in a marriage, uh, maybe the death of a child, but when betrayal occurs in whatever form that takes, uh, the coupleship is is at a major crisis level, and and what you've got at that point are are really two emotionally dysregulated people because like for me as the addict, you know I was using the addiction to medicate, numb, um, deal with uh, my emotions. Certainly I was unaware of that, uh, but that became the strategy, and so you know, the the healing and the growth and the journey, so much of it is like learning emotional regulation skills, um, uh, learning what it really means to connect, to attach uh, to another human being. Uh, because in my growing up, uh, attachment, there was a there was a, a attachment disturbance. May not have been a full-blown attachment disorder, but definitely a disturbance in the force because the primary caregivers of my life uh, did not know how to, to attach themselves. And that's not blaming. I'm just very aware of what they grew up in, the generational stuff that is all part of this as well. And so they had no model for attachment and intimacy and, you know, they kind of did the best they could with what they had, which which wasn't much. And and so learning what it means to attach uh, is, a, is a critical piece in the process. Um, and just, you know, uh, healthy boundaries. As you said, you know, I, I grew up with, like, no boundaries. Um, and, boy, that was, a, that was a big learning curve. But we often talk about so much of this, uh, it really is, uh, it's skill set and ability. And these are all things that you can learn. Uh, it's much better if you're learning it developmentally as you're growing up, but a lot of us don't get that. And so to go back and learn it when you're in your late 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, it's just more difficult because uh, it becomes more natural as a, chi- as a child, especially if you've got functional parents that are modeling it. Uh, we're much more like baby ducks than we realize in this stuff that we grow up in. We just repeat it. Yes, and, you know, for me, to being able to really look at my little T traumas, my big T Mm. traumas, and to identify what messages came out of that. Because I will, those lies, the lies of the enemy, you know, I I am not enough. I, I uh, uh, I am on my own. Well, when conflict happens in the relationship, those messages get tapped into if they're not healed, right? And so then what comes out 
is uh, a way to cope, whether we fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and so that was one of the, a huge thing for me to really begin to know myself, to become aware of what is happening in the relationship and what's getting tapped into in me. It was not the woman I wanted to be in how I was respond, reacting. I wasn't responding, I was reacting um, out of a lot of fear. And then the marriage, we, we like to say we become one another's healing agents. Mm. We've got to know ourselves, mm. know one another uh, in order to help one another heal, to have grace for one another, um, to be able to speak the truth into one another's um, hearts, really. Yeah, yeah and I we, think we write about it certainly in the book. Yeah, and I think. Yeah, just, well, the idea of just understanding trauma. And as Eva mentioned, you know, those messages that are formed in us, um, those are the lies of the enemy. Those are the toxic shame messages, uh, painful, implicit memories. It's the story we come up with. You know, children are great observers, but terrible interpreters. And so we, we come up with a story, and that story is about ourselves uh, as a child because it, it, it can't be my perfect godlike creatures, my parents, Something's got to be wrong with me. And that's where the formation of these false beliefs occurs. Uh, like, I am inadequate. I am insignificant. I am insecure. I am incompetent. I am impotent, powerless. Uh, and, and that forms a belief system. And we can have Jesus in our head all day long and sing the song, but, but we're going to live out of that belief system until we become aware of it, and then we begin to put God's truth to those lies. Mm-hmm. So as we think about the the couples that are out there that they're maybe maybe they're in the early stages of just sifting through the mess, the chaos. Um what would you say to them as far as like knowing that there's a whole list of things that they're going to need to to go through in terms of not only the personal healing but the marital healing, all those kind of things. Where would you say is some of the best starting points for a couple that is they've discovered the betrayal or the betrayal has come to light. Um, how do you try to help couples navigate the first steps into the healing journey? Right. Um, so the first step really is creating safety for the partner who's been betrayed. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. what she needs to experience is consistent action over time from her, her part, his or her partner. Um, so creating, needing to see consistent action over time and that he is, he or she is really working on becoming a well-boundaried person. Like, uh, gosh, I no longer go here. I no longer do these things. I no longer, I have filters. I have accountability. Um, just creating a lot of safety. So that's really the first step. Uh, and, and helping the partner to understand, like many times they have no idea why am I reacting the way that I am? Why am I having all these intrusive thoughts? Why do I want to ask a million questions? It's just part of the process. And yeah, and that's all part of the betrayal trauma. And yeah. certainly when I'm working with the uh, offender, the addict, um, you know, one of the first things I'm trying to get him to do is get plugged into a group uh, with other men 
that are kind of moving in the same direction and, and with guys that are further down the road that can be a mentor, a guide, a uh, sponsor, whatever we want to call it. But, but that's so important because he's going to need a lot of support because at this point, uh, his wife, and, and of course, you know, we're using husband, wife as, as the husband's the one acting out. I mean, there are wives that, that have done it as well and, and the roles are reversed. So this works either way. Uh, we just, I'm using the husband because I'm a man and I don't want to offend wives. Um, but it, I, I want him to get plugged in to, uh, to, to where he's going to get support because he's dealing with so much shame at that point. And uh, we say that, you know, the antidote for shame is chronic exposure to love and acceptance. Uh, that doesn't mean condoning the behavior, but it's certainly, um, he's got to get that part of him, uh, you know, loved on and accepted and, and you know, realize that he's, he's not in the boat alone. There's, there's a bunch of us with him. And if, if he joins and becomes a part of the group and engages, um, he's going to be, uh, he's going to have a whole lot better chance than being out there on his own. So as we, so as we go ahead, go the, ahead. The same is true for the partner. I mean, I, I, I really encourage and, uh, provide, uh, support groups as well, because she's going to heal in community with other women mm-hmm. who are walking mm-hmm. in her shoes. Like they understand her pain, they get it. Some of these women are are further along in the journey. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard though for the partner because she may go to a group and get triggered in the group. She hears th- she may hear things that she has not heard before, and she hadn't thought about that. Um, however, what happens over time, it helps her become more resilient um, and to to begin to be more aware. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we've got a few sir. minutes. We've got a few minutes left, but I wanted to touch on two other aspects to this that I think are really critical because they're going to always come up, and uh, and maybe even a third aspect that I think is really important, and that is the aspect of forgiveness, trust, and then really learning, relearning, or maybe learning for the very first time how to really love one another well. What is especially with the issues of forgiveness and trust. Where do you typically see that as the best time to start to inter- to really deal with those topics? Because I think some people try to put those way too early in the process, and then they kind of they kind of hamstring the whole healing journey. But then talk about how important forgiveness and trust is to healing, and then what does it look like on the other side of that to really learn to love one another well? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the um, certainly the forgiveness piece is just a critical piece, and uh, the offended party um, has to at some point begin to work work through to forgiveness. Uh, that is a journey. That's a process. That's not a I forgive you uh, kind of deal, right? Uh, because there's a there's a lot of impact mm. that has happened to the partner. You know that that each each situation will have to work through forgiveness. It's not a one and done by any means. Right. However, if a partner right. is willing to stay in the relationship, that's already that that's already a sign of hey, I'm moving towards forgiveness. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not there yet, mm. but I'm moving towards it. Yeah, and then on the trust side, uh, the rebuilding of trust. One of the things um, you know, I. I tell men is, 
you know, quit quit asking her when will you trust me again. Uh, when she's ready, she'll let you know. Um, you can you can save that energy, and then what you can do is focus your energy energy on creating safety. Because I believe the idea of creating safety is a little easier to understand. And, you know, those are practical things. Like, uh, she needs to see it, right? The, she's got to see you doing something. And those are things like certainly, you know, software on my phone, uh, working at my boundaries. You know, I'm, I'm active and going to group. I'm going to see my counselor. Uh, I'm building my team of guys, my SEAL team. I'm, I'm engaging in men's community on a deeper level. Um, there, there's lots of things that will create safety, but it does take consistent action over time. And if, if we're doing those things, uh, safety will occur, but it takes time. Mm-hmm. And then the love on the other mm-hmm. side, um, Aww, you know. Yeah. You know, the, the love on the other side, I would say that's the easy part uh, 40 years in. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. That's the easy part. Uh, because, you know, what we're looking for in, in a long-term relationship is more of an abiding love mm. and knowing one another. Mm. That we have no secrets, no secrets, no silence, and no judgment. Um, that's so good. it's more of an abiding love. Mm, and, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot more that we can talk about and there's a lot more in your book. So tell our listeners how they can get more information about uh, the book and then also what you guys do in ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book is available on Amazon. Uh, it's, uh, you know, you can just go to Amazon and uh, be careful when you Google it. Uh, it's sex, God, and the chaos of betrayal. Um, and we also have our website. Uh, our website is sexgodchaos.com. There's more information on there, um, just uh, some other resources. And and then uh, you can order the book. Um, there's a link there to Amazon for the book. Um, and, and uh, you know, the We've got information there too about uh, some of the things that we do. Uh, we do the we do couples intensives. We do men's intensives. Um, I'm actually getting ready to head out this afternoon to do uh, a clinical intensive for the Samson Society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. we we do those um, uh, just pretty frequently. Uh, our couples intensives are. Um, available uh, if you know people want to come here and be a part of that and we've had couples come from different places all over we do one-to-one intensives where a couple comes in and we'll do either a a two-day or three-day intensive uh, like three full days uh, one-to-one with another couple and the great thing about that is you get to actually dig in and do a lot of work instead of kind of the typical hour to hour, you know, counseling model. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Rowan and Eva, thank you so much for being uh, willing to step into this space with your story and for writing this book and for being with us today. We really appreciate you having you here. Man, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yes. And listeners, we are going to uh, put all that information in the show notes about how you can get their book and get connected with what they're doing in their ministry. Um, but we're always glad that you're with us, and we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Take care.
Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.